0: Breaking Bread with Brilliant Babes. I'm your host, Tatiana Jimenez. We're recording today from my tiny apartment in San Francisco and I'm joined by Elizabeth Bachman. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Tatiana. I'm (laughs) delighted to be here. Thank you so much for being on the show. For any first time listeners out there, our purpose is to shed some light on everyday people doing brilliant things. I invite them into my home, cook a meal, and then we eat together and chat about their careers and how they got where they are today. Today we're enjoying Empanadas Two Ways. Our guest is a public speaking leadership and communications trainer. So Elizabeth, can you start by telling us a little about what you're doing currently and your career history up until this point? So what I'm doing currently is I help people who
1: need to speak, to get a res- need to get results when they speak, when they do a presentation and basically aren't getting the results either they're not getting sales or if you're talking about uh, if you're speaking internally you maybe you know that you do boring meetings Mm -hmm. and (laughs) things like that Uh and or you're someone who goes to a conference and you look up at the person who's doing the keynote and you say damn I am twice as smart as that person. Why isn't that me up there? Mm -hmm. Those people are really fun to work with. (laughs) And what I do is I'll help you master a message that will bring you funding if you're speaking for sales purposes. Or will bring you allies if you're speaking to, say, get your team on board. Or getting upper management to approve what you want. Mm -hmm. Or recognition If you're the one who's twice as smart as the keynote speaker and you want to be out there and you don't know how to get there, but I do know how to get you there. So, Yeah,
0: that's terrific. So have you always been a speaker? Is this just a natural-born talent that you have?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Good question. The great thing about speaking is anyone can learn it. It's not a natural-born talent. And if you see the people who are out there at a party and they're telling jokes and they're funny and so forth. It just means that they learned it earlier, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that a lot of people learn how to be comedians in order to survive childhood. Right. And you know, or adolescence, which is a place where you really need tools, mm-hmm. for instance. So anyone can learn it. That's the cool thing. I learned to be comfortable on stage and to tell stories very early on. I was I was a theater kid and they sent me to the local children's theater in Portland, Oregon to take lessons uh, until I grew out of it and I actually stayed for 5 years. But the reason that I the reason I was so hooked on it was my f- first role. My mom said that I was the best damn bunny rabbit that ever graced the stage of the Hillside School and I was hooked. <laughs>
0: uh-huh.
1: Recognition for me, you know, it was yes. recognition. That's what I wanted. That one, yeah,
0: and uh, positive reinforcement as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so from acting to directing to directing opera singers, which I did for 30 years. So mm-hmm. I spent 30 years in the opera business doing everything from directing people like Luciano Pavarotti, Placido Domingo, to helping teenagers do their first aria ever. Mm-hmm. And pretty much everything in between. Cool. And it was a great, mm-hmm. it was really fun. It took me around the world. I've, I've been on four of this. I've been paid to be on four of the seven continents. But now what I'm doing is I'm working with business professionals. And that's really fun. Mm-hmm. Also because it's not the same arias over and over. Everybody's got yeah. something new.
0: So mm-hmm. that's really fun. Yeah, new challenges. So, I guess, when was the moment that you felt you broke into this industry or role? The speaking industry. Correct. I started
1: training in 2010 and really launched in 2011. So, I spent about a year going to a lot of classes and workshops, Mm -hmm. investing in my own business and figuring out how to transfer what I knew about telling stories and getting audiences interested, mm-hmm. getting audiences engaged, into something that people could use to actually get cash. Mm-hmm. So I broke into it, started about 2011, and then it, the business has grown and morphed and changed over the years. I learned the art of public speaking, At one of my other reinventions.
0: So it sounds like you, (laughs) you know, had this, this long career in opera and performance. And so did you one day decide, like, there's a need for like speaking training or what made you decide to go down this path?
1: Actually being a speaker trainer was my third, maybe fourth reinvention of myself. Okay. Um, (laughs) I was focused on being an actor all the way through high school and college. And in college, I realized that I didn't want it badly enough to have it be the only thing in my life. I didn't have to be an actor. And really, if you're going to be an actor, you it's got to be the only thing that matters. And I was able, I'm very versatile. I could do all sorts of things in theater. I just wanted to be part of it. And I also decided that... I didn't need to go out and be a big fish in a small pond. I wanted to be in the big pond. I didn't mind being a small fish and working my way up. So that was what I did. Then I, I reinvented myself as a, as a director, then as an opera director. And then came the time where I had to change. Mm-hmm. And so I created a school a summer opera training program in the Austrian Alps. I was invited to bring young singers to Austria and train them. The great thing was that it was German-speaking singers from all over the world and English-speaking singers, mostly Americans, because that's where I had the contacts. We had singers from England. We had singers from Australia. We had singers from New Zealand, all sorts of people, It was a bilingual program, and it was the sort of thing that I knew enough by then to know that people were learning so much, but they wouldn't realize it until later. Mm -hmm. And I had a whole series of emails where people would write to me a year, six months or a year later, and go, oh, now I see what you're talking about. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Which was, that's really fun. I still get those. I still Mm -hmm. get those messages from former students uh, even 15 20 years later yeah. and the and that is actually where I learned the art of public speaking mm-hmm. because when I founded my own nonprofit I had to raise all the money I had to raise a hundred thousand dollars and to do that I had to give speeches mm-hmm. we didn't qualify for any grants so it was all on me and frankly when I first started I was, I was pretty terrified and terrible, Mm -hmm. and what I learned was someone who was a speaker trainer told me how to how to make it work and what I could do, and that I didn't know what I didn't know. It wasn't that I was wrong or stupid. I just didn't know that there's a whole art form involved in speaking to make a sale Mm -hmm. or speaking. Really, I call it speaking to enroll somebody. To get them to invest in themselves by working with me.
0: Mm-hmm. Terrific. So along your journey, did you, whether it was um, in the, the speaking and communications business or in the, the world of opera, did you have a mentor? And are you a mentor to others?
1: I learned... I learned how to direct operas from working on the crew, being a stage manager and an assistant, Mm -hmm. following my mentors around, and seeing what made sense to me and what didn't. There are a lot of people, sometimes you learn more from seeing something you hate, and you say, Mm -hmm. this is terrible, I would never do it that way. Hmm, how would I do it? It makes you realize, ah, okay, this is the way I am going to do it. And now I'm constantly mentoring people. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely.
0: Yeah, I, it's, it sounds like it's a part of your job. <laughs> it's a, it's a big,
1: <laughs> big part of my job, yes.
0: And it's something I love to do. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. definitely. Do you? Are you in contact with a lot of other uh, speaking trainers?
1: Absolutely. Okay. It, yeah. Yeah, we refer each other back and forth. Mm-hmm. I was just at an event yesterday where there were three speaker trainers, mm-hmm. and we were talking about how does it work the thing is is when you find a mentor when you hire a mentor especially when you hire a trainer it's got to be somebody that you click with who do mm-hmm. you resonate with and my style doesn't work for everybody so i had to find i had to find the people who made sense to me to be my trainers mm-hmm. the people that i finally learned from were maybe the third or fourth series of trainers that I had looked at and before I said public speaker training, nah, I don't think so. And then I met the the two that I did study with and went, ah, okay, they make sense. They fit. I, I could see fitting into their world.
0: has been very positive but the next question I have for you is what was your biggest career obstacle so far slash shittiest moment
1: Uh, (laughs) the shittiest moment uh, wasn't a moment it was a year actually I would say looking back the ongoing obstacle for me was not putting myself out enough and not asking for the money I was, I was a good girl. I was raised to be a good girl, and I didn't like to push too much. It's the classic thing that finally people are talking about. Mm-hmm. But I look back to my earlier career years, and, the, and if I had known then, that's not the If I'd known then what I know now, I would have learned, I would have gotten help mm-hmm. to teach me how to ask for more money instead of just settling for what they offered because Mm -hmm. I was constantly being paid less than the men Mm -hmm. and I didn't know what to do about it. Nowadays, thank goodness for Me Too and the whole movement, nowadays that's not so possible, but back in the 80s and 90s, I just wanted to work, Mm -hmm. so I would take whatever was offered instead of negotiating something better. I really wish I'd learned that. Mm The shittiest moment... Or year was in 2001 when the phone stopped ringing Mm. and the thing about the the good and the bad uh, the good thing about being an opera director is that you do a project you see the results of you come in you rehearse and then eight o'clock Saturday night rolls around they do the show you collect your check and you go home Mm So I always saw the results of what I did. And the nice thing about opera as opposed to theater is that operas will book you a year in advance. So I usually knew a year in oh, advance. Wow. Okay. But each job only lasted three or four weeks. So I had to sell myself over and over. Mm-hmm. Most of the work came from referrals. Most came the work came from where I was. The thing that I had seen happen to singers is not i'd seen it happen to singers, and i didn't didn't think it would happen to directors and it did, mm-hmm. which was suddenly i wasn't the hot young thing anymore mm-hmm. i'd been out there on the circuit for about fifteen years, and nowadays you only get about ten years, maybe fifteen if you're lucky, and then you're the same person you are you were before you're smarter. But the market wants somebody new. Hmm. long comes someone who's younger, cuter, cheaper, yeah. cheaper than you are.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, a big thing. <laughs> and you know, if
1: you look at Hollywood movies, mm-hmm. where's Meg Ryan these days? Mm-hmm. Where's Michelle Pfeiffer?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, they, they made their careers on being ingenues, and suddenly it all stops. And the thing that's hard is it's not like getting a, pay, a pink slip. It's just that the phone stops ringing. So I went from the best year of projects and work. I was working in the best companies, better companies than ever. Mm-hmm. And I could not, for the life of me, get a job to follow that last one.
0: Wow.
1: I didn't know it was the last one, but that was the mm-hmm. last one. And then when you are your product, that's the other. That was really hard. And mm-hmm. to be honest that plunged me into such a depression i was in about 2 years of depression self doubt i didn't know what to do i didn't know how to how to go forward because theater is what i had always done mm. and the challenge in being an artist is you have to wait for someone to pick up someone else has to pick up the phone to call you mm. Nowadays, we've got social media marketing and so forth, so that's easier. But still, mm-hmm. you don't make your own jobs. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to uh, wait for someone to want you,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's hard.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's, uh, anybody who works in the gig economy will understand that one.
0: Right. So when this happened, were you back in the United States or were you still yeah. in Europe? You were back in the U.S. Okay.
1: I was in the U.S.
0: Mm-hmm. Most of my career has been in the U.S. with
1: okay. um, various projects mm-hmm. around around the world. The next step was creating Top Opera, the, the program that I did, the opera company in Austria,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where I was the one who chose, who picked up the phone and right. hired people. Mm-hmm. So that was... That was why I said, next time I'm going to be the one who decides that. And that is indeed what I did. And that had marketing mostly in America, but the operations, the program itself, was in Austria. Mm
0: -hmm. I
1: have friends in this beautiful, beautiful mountain village in the Alps on a lake. It's a gorgeous place. And they kept saying, why aren't you doing opera here? Here we have... Three villages full of hotels with nothing to do after 8 o'clock at night. Wow. Oh, come do your concerts here. <laughs> and so I did.
0: How long were you there?
1: It We did 11 years. Wow. And, and then for various reasons, it was time to finish. Okay. And so let it mm. go. Yeah. But that was very much the project of my heart. Wow. And it was the project that taught me mm. how to speak. So mm-hmm. I... I was very glad. And I actually started training speakers and business professionals. My original intent had to be to make the money that would fund my opera habit, because I knew that the, the summer opera program was never going to pay me. And so I thought, well, this is where I'll make the money that will pay me to do what I really want to do. hmm And then the more I did it, the more I started working with business people, and the more I started training speakers, I could bring in so many other pieces of my background and training and knowledge Mm -hmm. that that became more interesting than the opera.
0: Absolutely. And not to like totally go on a tangent, I don't think this is a tangent, but I was a theater kid too in high school. And I, I went into college as um, a theater minor, and then I quickly changed it to film <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because I couldn't hang with the theater kids. They were a little intense for me. But I'm so grateful for my even my high school theater training because as a business person now, I feel like I've I've, I've gained so much just from. Having the tools that I learned in improv classes, for example, mm-hmm. and just kind of constantly being on your feet and being able to think quickly, like mm-hmm. those things take you so far, I think. And so I imagine that there are even more tools that you have in your toolkit <laughs> that you share. <laughs> sure. well, it's You're... all
1: about, uh, it's all about the audience and who's your mm-hmm. audience and getting mm-hmm. them engaged and getting them interested. Mm-hmm. And really, there's nothing really new in the world. People who are inventing new things are just finding new ways of doing things. So so what's going to make them buy from you Mm -hmm. as opposed to the next person over? Or the next 50 other people who are also looking to make that sale? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So we talked about your shittiest moment, which was unfortunately a year, it sounds like a little bit longer than a year, but what was your biggest opportunity slash best moment?
1: That's difficult. I get opportunities all the time. And in some ways, in the speaking business, I think it was that first decision to take a course in in public speaking. Mm. I didn't know what I would do with it, but I knew I could be a public speaker. Mm-hmm. I had spoken to entertain for a long time, mm-hmm. and then I had learned how to speak to raise money for the nonprofit, but I didn't realize that you could actually make a living being a speaker. Now, it's very much like making a living as an actor. It's still 95% work and 5% up on stage,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it is, it is a great thing. The thing that breaks my heart is I see so many speakers who get up there and they're giving their all on stage and the audience doesn't do what they want them to do. Sometimes there are speakers who don't know that you can make a speech and actually get people to take action, to to donate to your nonprofit or buy into your idea or buy your product. All of that is speaking is one of the absolute best ways of getting people to say, yes, I want this. Mm -hmm. And there's so many people who go up and they make the classic mistakes and put the audience to sleep. And then this is America, so audiences are polite. So people come up and they say, great, great, you did a great job. And then they walk out of the room with their credit cards still in their pockets. Mm -hmm. That's what breaks my heart. So really what I'm about is helping people, be they CEOs who are trying to get the next round of funding for their company, Mm -hmm. to people who are upper managers, and it's their turn to do the presentation to the board, the annual report to the board, and maybe there's some things in the annual report that the board's not going to be happy with. There's a whole art to that sort of presentation. Mm -hmm keynoting anything anything to from that down to having the weekly meeting with your team and getting them to buy in to what it is that needs to happen which may not be what they like to do
0: are you enjoying the podcast? Whether you're listening to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play, we'd love it if you'd leave us a review and or a rating. This helps other listeners find our show in the abyss that is the internet. We greatly appreciate it and thanks so much for tuning in. Well on this show I also like to highlight what I call hidden talents. So things that are significant to our lives that we might not add to our resumes or are necessarily work-related. So, Elizabeth, I think you've mentioned that one of your hidden talents could possibly be your ability to connect people. Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
1: Ah, yes. I love connecting people. It's something I think I probably learned it from my mom and my dad to a certain extent. It's a mindset, and it's actually a great advantage to me when networking. Mm. Is If you go to networking, don't go to a networking event thinking that you're going to find your next job or that you're going to sell something. Go to a networking event to find a referral partner. Who is it who would be a good person to help you to get to the next level? That's so much easier than mm-hmm. trying to make a sale. And if they're not right for you, how can you still be of service because this is all about being of service. Mm -hmm. How can you still help somebody by saying, hey, you know, do you know so and so, I did this yesterday, the woman who was running the speaker event I was at yesterday, I've been connecting her to someone else who has a similar speaker event and they can send their people back and forth So they have cross-promotion possibilities. And if you're a speaker trainer, you're always looking for places for your clients to go speak. These two have places where clients could speak. Hmm. It's a mindset of how you go in and you could say, how could I help you? What are you looking for? What do you need? Instead of what do I need?
0: Mm -hmm. That's great. And also I should mention how Caitlin and I met you. We actually met Elizabeth at a, it was a networking event called women mean business. (laughs) And for me personally, I am not a big fan of networking events. And so my goal, if, and when I do go to networking events is to meet one person. That's, Mm -hmm. that's my goal. And then we met you, and I was like, okay, I'm done for the day. (laughs) But we actually ended up meeting a lot of other uh, really awesome women. And so, um, but that all together was a really terrific event. And you were speaking on a panel at that event. But yeah, I think that's really, that's a really great point that you made about you know, not necessarily what am I going to get out of this, but how can I help this person that I'm meeting? I was, I used to do a lot of freelance graphic design. And so in my world, it was similar. You know, I would stumble across potential clients who need very specific things that I don't do, like really complicated illustrations or motion graphics. And luckily you know, I would be able to refer them to friends that I knew did those things. So I imagine in, in your ro- world or in the business world, it's very similar. So I think that's terrific.
1: It's also a good point to do if you are at, if say, you've got a job interview, mm-hmm. or uh, you're doing an enrollment call with someone, and they say, you know, this really isn't for me. This isn't going to be a fit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You then then you then to say. Could I ask you a question about that? That's important. You say, could I ask you a question about that? And most of the time they'll say yes, if they have time. And then you say, what are you looking for? Because I'm connected to a couple of other great speakers for me. And maybe I have somebody who will give you what you're looking for. And then you can recommend somebody. Of course, you're connected to lots of people. But you just say, I'm just connected to a couple so you don't overwhelm them. (laughs) And that way you have shown yourself as someone who's providing value and maybe if it's not a fit for them right now, you can then go back to them and say, hey, is that, you know, how did that work? Who did you finally hire for that job? Is there anything else available in the company That kind of thing. It Mm -hmm. gives you... It leaves the door open to come back and follow Mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. And who knows what's going to happen in the next six months.
0: I think the other hidden talent that we learned about you is that you speak many different languages.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm fluent in English, of course. French, Italian, German, Spanish... And I speak a teeny weeny bit of Japanese. Oh, cool. But I haven't used the Japanese in so long that I I only remember a very little bit Mm -hmm. now but I did speak a little Japanese once.
0: Yeah, is this from your your opera days? It's just from my opera days. Okay.
1: But I was also a language fan. I was sort of a language geek early on. Mm-hmm. My grandmother spoke eight languages. Wow. My five plus Latin, Greek, and she did speak Japanese because she lived there for a while. Wow. And it was and she was very insistent that my sisters and I at the very least Spoke French because that was the language of civilization. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and then, so going into opera made perfect sense because I'd grown up listening to it, and i I loved the languages. I first took Italian in college because I liked to listen to opera and I wanted to know what was going on, mm-hmm. and also to make my grandmother happy, yeah. which I'm very glad I did. She died right after college. I was got out of college, so I'm glad she was alive to know that. Mm-hmm. and it has taken me around the world yeah. the the way it's interesting now when i work with speaker trainers uh, with speakers is that being in san francisco it is a polyglot city there are a lot of languages so i'm used to working with people for whom english is not their primary language mm-hmm. so i'm used to thinking about how languages work thinking about what languages tell you how people think there are all sorts of patterns in language that parallel patterns in culture. And if you are speaking to an audience where you've got people from all over the world there, you have to be very sure that you're clear. If you're speaking to, if you're an English speaker, you have to be sure that you're clear to your listeners because it's all about the listeners. That's the key. Yeah. Make it about them. And if you are, if English is not your first language, you're speaking to, you're still speaking to people from all over the world, mm-hmm. if, you're in, uh, if you're in a major city, then you also have to be very aware of the way you speak as well
0: as what you say. I'm jealous. I speak like 1.5 languages. <laughs> it's just practice. Yeah, I need to. <laughs> So, next we'll dive into the listener question portion of the episode, and I have about five questions here to ask you. So, the first one we have is we've covered this a little bit earlier, but some people are naturally better speakers and communicators than others. What do you say to people who think they just don't have what it takes for public speaking?
1: The key is do you need to speak in public? It is a fabulous tool. It is a tool. It's a really fun and fabulous one. Do you need to speak? And if you do, it is a great way to get promoted in your company because if you're the person who's doing the presentation, you're automatically assumed to be an expert. It gives you status. Mm -hmm. And the more you can be the person who's giving the presentation, the expert for this hour, if you will, Mm -hmm. the more you come to the attention of the higher-ups, and then they'll say, Oh, well Tatiana knows what she's doing. Let's promote her.
0: Got it. So related to that, what resources do you recommend for people who are looking to improve their public speaking and presentation skills?
1: If you are looking to speak to promote your business, to do speaking for marketing, talk to me. Huh. <laughs> talk to me and <laughs> we could go into more detail. I could if I'm not the person for you, I will send you to the people who are. If all you're looking for is how to get past the fear of standing up in front of a group, find a Toastmasters group. Mm. Toastmasters is excellent. I'm an advanced trainer. I'm I'm a little I'm the next step beyond Toastmasters. There's right. a lot that Toastmasters does not teach you. But if all you really need to do is get up and make a toast at your brother's wedding, Toastmasters, it's a wonderful organization and you can learn a great deal.
0: Great. Can you briefly explain what is entailed in being an opera director and what that has taught you about commanding an audience.
1: The short version is the conductor's responsible for the music. They're the person who is in front of the orchestra, waving the baton. I'm responsible for everything else. So the director is the person who says, you go here, you go there, stand up, sit down, whatever. That's sort of the day-to-day, that's the the flip answer. Mm-hmm. The real reason is, the real thing is, the director has an idea, a concept, of how we are going to tell this story, because there are really only ten stories out there, so how are we going to tell this story? And then you get a group of very talented people, very opinionated people, and you have to convince them to pull together to be a team, and you have to convince them to follow your idea. And then you work to make a, a whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. Along the way you pull the best out of every single team member as you do it. And then you have to deliver the results by a deadline. Mm-hmm. Because 8 o'clock Saturday night is going to come around. And a lot of people have spent a lot of money for those tickets. <laughs>
0: I think I was just reverting back to my high school drama days and thinking about the productions that we did and how I used to have nightmares that I forgot all my lines. Everybody does. (laughs) Everybody does. (laughs) I still have those nightmares sometimes. I'm like, wait, I'm not in high school anymore. It's part of the process. Yeah. (laughs) So the next question I have for you is, what are some common mistakes you see people make when it comes to public speaking? Hmm, boy. Using their hands too much? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, it all
1: boils down to the three S's. Okay. Strategy, script, and style. Hmm. Those are the three things you need to be a good speaker. Okay. And the big mistakes that I see connect with, to those three. So the first biggest mistake is if the audience doesn't think you're relevant. Because you haven't made it relevant to them. Mm-hmm. It's all about them. If you're speaking to a group who, uh, say you're in within the company and they have to listen to you, you've got to make sure that they understand why this matters. Mm-hmm. If you're giving a speech where you want potential clients to come, you have to know who do you, who's your ideal audience and then where are they. There's a whole thing about strategy. So the key to that is match your message to the room. Wherever it is, whether it's within a company or speaking outside to to sell, to promote your your business, match the message to the room. Mm -hmm. The second biggest mistake is too much how, not enough why. Mm -hmm. And we all do this. Mm -hmm. So especially if you're an expert and you're talking about your expertise, uh, you know, I can go on and on and on about languages here. I'm not going to sub- subject you to that, but <laughs> if there's anybody who's listening who's a language geek and wants to talk about why you pay attention to the initial H in French and when you do and when you don't, um, send me a message We can talk about that. Uh, so that happens a lot when people talk too much about how something is done. It's actually sales 101. It's, it's sell the benefits, not the features. Mm-hmm. Sell the sizzle, not the sake. Mm-hmm. If you think about all those car commercials, they're selling you the idea of driving fast on a beautiful road and how you're going to feel, not necessarily what's under the hood good point. And and then the first biggest mistake, the biggest mistake of all is being boring or pushy. Okay. <laughs> and that's the style. Yeah. So, that too much how not enough why, that's the script. You need to know what your words are, choose your words carefully. The style is you can have the best words in the world and the most interesting script, but if you're going to deliver it in a boring way, you've, you've just wasted a lot of people's time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All of this, I know that your target group of people that you work with is probably business professionals, mm-hmm. but this makes me think a lot about stand-up comedy mm-hmm. and how, you know, I'm a pretty empathetic person. So it makes me really like, I can feel when a comedian is nervous and it kills their whole set for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that happens to a lot of comedians when, you yeah. know, when you don't, come on stage confident or... I'm not necessarily confident, but just uh, not nervous, I guess. Because people can feel that. The audience can feel that. So I imagine there's a lot of that in public speaking.
1: And some of that comes from... Do you have the technical tools? Do you have the technique? Mm -hmm. The craft, if you will. Right. I've been saying for years that what I do is I teach people the craft of presentation so that they are free to to make art and and I have to tell you the best part of my life this is where what I just love the best part of my life is when I see somebody who's a client of mine and they go out in front of a packed room and they just nail it they're not they're not thinking about what do they do with their hands, they're not thinking about what the words come next, because we've done all that, we've done that prep work. Yeah. And they can go out and feed the audience mm-hmm. and be fed by the audience and really open themselves to whatever it is that inspires them, gets them going. And, you know, if, you're, if you are inspired by something greater than yourself, if, you have, if you're a TED speaker and you have a big idea, You can be a channel for this big idea and it gets all, you can go out and you can give them something. But if it's a big idea that's coming from the universe, maybe, or from the muses, if you give it to them directly, it's like hitting them with a fire hose and you're going to drown them. So the art and the craft of creating a speech is to take that idea and shape it in such a way that. It's like a cool glass of water Mm -hmm. on a hot day. Or sometimes it's even so fine, such a fine detail, that it's like that stream of liquid that that etches a design on a piece of silver. Everything in between that. Mm -hmm. That's the art of it. That's the craft. That's what I live for. And when I watch one of my clients walk out and nail it and the audience jumps to their feet in a standing ovation, that's what keeps me going. Yeah,
0: that's wonderful.
1: (laughs) I love what I do. (laughs) I love what I do.
0: All right. Well, I mean, it sounds like you're in the the perfect profession. (laughs) And, and yeah, your passion is uh, palpable. But the next question is, if you weren't doing this, if you weren't a public speaker trainer, What other types of work would you be interested in?
1: Well, the heart of it is I work with people who are speaking about something they believe in. Mm -hmm. They believe in what they're selling. They believe in what they're saying. They have a message to deliver. My specific genius, if you will, is helping people speak about that. Mm-hmm. If I weren't doing a speaker trainer, I might be producing. I've been a producer, and I mm-hmm. pro- I might go into producing theater. I might go into basic marketing without the speaking part of it. Sure. Uh, right now, my brain is all about sales now, yeah. so... Uh-huh. Uh, you know, what I do is I help people speak to make a sale, right and to get visibility and so forth. Mm-hmm. So I would probably go into some other aspect of marketing. Mm-hmm. That's not something I would have said before i before I started in this business. Yeah, but I think that's what I would do now.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, um one of the questions I like to ask all my guests towards the end of the episode is, what are you looking forward to this week? And it doesn't have to be work-related, but it can be?
1: <laughs> well, actually, we're now talking in early July, mm-hmm. and I'm very excited because there's a wonderful group called Watermark, which does has a leadership conference for women, mm-hmm. and it's to teach women how to be on boards. They help women get better positions within corporations, and Watermark has a leadership conference on Friday, July 27th. And I am one of the speakers. So I'm oh. talking about helping people be better communicators.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm great. doing one of the training sessions.
0: Awesome. And is this in
1: San Francisco? This is actually in Mountain View on the Intuit campus. Oh, cool. And you can get information by going to wearewatermark.org. Mm-hmm. So it's wearewatermark.org mark, M-A-R-K dot org, and it's going to pop up it's right there at the at the, the home page
0: perfect and we'll we'll be sure to add that link on on to the episode page of our website so everyone can find it but lastly do you um, do you have anything you would like to plug or any resources you would like to talk about Well if anybody's
1: interested in learning more about public speaking you can reach me at Elizabeth at elizabethbachman.com. So that's one of the easiest things to do. And if you just want a little help, I have a free gift. It's called the Star Maker Secrets for Speakers, and it's a series of emails, videos, Mm. short, digestible speaker tips where you can do... You can get one little tip for the next thing you're going to do, and then cool. next week or two weeks later, you get another little tip for something you can do, and that's my gift to the speaking community mm-hmm. assembled over my 30 years of training presenters.
0: That's great. And to get that, do we just uh, sign up on your website?
1: You go to ElizabethBachman.com, mm-hmm. and you'll find you'll find it on the front, the home page. So that's actually Elizabeth with a Z, mm-hmm. like the Queen of England. And Bachman B A C H M A N dot com.
0: Perfect. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Thank you. <laughs> it was delicious,
0: and you fed me, which was wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It was uh, my first time making empanadas. So I was kind of nervous. <laughs> they were delicious. Thank you. So to learn more about Elizabeth's work and other topics we covered on the episode, head over to our website, BrilliantBabesPodcast.com, where you can also listen to previous episodes, check out our event calendar, and get the recipes for the dishes we make for each episode. Today's recipe was Empanadas Two Ways. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and stay tuned for episodes every other Tuesday. Take care, everyone.